Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting with us on Facebook at Journey Fellowship Denton. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. I'm going to bring you a message. It's, I'm going to finish up in the next little bit a part of our series that I started at the beginning of the year. But I want to remind you that next week we have a very special weekend. And I encourage every one of you to try to be here both services, Sunday morning and Sunday night next week. A friend of mine, an evangelist, his name is Lynn Wheeler. He's traveled the world over. I've known him for years and for years and years. He is a true man of God. And let me tell you something, he'll bring something fresh. He doesn't bring stale bread to the church. He brings fresh bread and he lays it before the people and he allows us to hear the words of God for your life. So I want you to be here. Invite somebody next week. It's going to be just a weekend spring revival. And we're going to pray that God uh, just does what he wants to do. We're tossing even around the idea that Monday night we might come back and do a miracle Monday night and just say, hey, look, bring the lame, bring the sick, bring, bring the blind, bring the deaf, bring whoever needs prayed over. We're going to pray and anoint you with oil. And we believe God's going to heal you and, cha- and change your, change your uh, situation. So this weekend, this coming weekend, Saturday, Sunday, Sunday morning and Sunday night, we'll start Sunday night around 6 o'clock. And uh, we want you to just make that a part of your, of your calendar uh, because I believe God's going to do some good things. Amen? If you believe that, pray with me this week that the Lord's going to touch us and He's going to just in a very special way going to show up here um, in a special way next week. But today what I want to do is I want to continue that series that I've been working through for the last, I don't know, several months. I'm going to finish uh, part nine and then I'm going to go to part ten after Lynn's gone and we'll just see how, how the Lord lays it out. But today I want you to take your Bibles. I want to look you look with me in Matthew chapter 19. We've been discussing about what the difference is between a believer and a disciple. And you say, well, it sounds very similar. Well, a believer is a person who just acknowledges, oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus, yeah, sure, sure. Signed a card a long time ago. You know, I'm in. I'm, you know, I'm take, got that taken care of. Bought that fire insurance a long time ago. I'm good, you know. But a disciple says, I don't want to just, I just don't want to know about Jesus. I want to know him. I don't want to just make, try to make Jesus my Savior and leave off the Lord part because that's really the key. A lot of people do that. They come to the Lord and they say, Lord, I want you to save me from my sins, but I have no intention of following you as being my Lord. Because the Lord says, I follow, or you, I tell you what to do and then you follow me. A Savior says, I get you out of your mess. But Jesus came to be our Savior and our Lord, not just to redeem our lives from our sin and our past, but to give us a new way of living and a new way of life. And that's the difference between a believer and a disciple. The verbiage is a little bit confusing because we're all believers in Jesus Christ, but He wants us to be followers, disciples. And so today what I'm going to bring to your attention is a story that Jesus tells and it's not a parable this is a true story that actually took place and he he this young man comes to Jesus and he asks him about the kingdom in verse 16 of Matthew 19 the scripture says this now behold one came and said to him good teacher what good thing shall i do that i may have eternal life and so he said to him why do you call me good no one is good but one that is God. In other words, are you calling me God here? Are you asking me as, as God or just another guy? But if you want to, to enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said, which ones, Jesus? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall honor your father and your mother. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all of these I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? And Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, go and sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Lord, 
Help me today to deliver, Lord, this word and this truth. Lord, help me to teach, Lord, in a way that, Lord, is understandable. And most of all, I pray that, Lord, from my mouth to the hearer's ears, Lord, whether in this room or online, I pray that your anointing, Lord, would would take those words and that they would bury them into our hearts so that we might be transformed and that we might have a great revelation, Lord, of what you want to say to us, what you want to change in us, and what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. In this passage, what you see is this young man who says, Lord, what do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus does something very unique. He lists six of the Ten Commandments. I don't know if you noticed that there. Six of the Ten Commandments Jesus brings, He lists six of them. But He skips one, very important one. It's the last commandment. Can anybody tell me what that is? You shall not what? What? It's the last one. Don't covet. Yeah, see, just by you not knowing it, that tells me that I'm on track today. You shall not covet. What does covet mean? Covet has to do with the desires of your heart. You shall not have desires that are not fitting for you. Whether it's the desire for another man's wife or the desire for another man's house or the desire for another uh, woman's uh, car. Whenever, whenever he says you shall not covet, he's talking about you shouldn't have desires that will train your heart away from God. And so Jesus cautioned his disciples and he cautioned with them often because what happens is Jesus knew that this young man had one real serious problem. And the problem was this, is that money had taken over his heart. Money. Has anybody ever in the past, I don't know, 48 hours considered money? How much you have or how much you don't? Has anybody in the past week wondered about your financial future? Anybody? Well, of course. Because we're naturally prone to that. And Jesus knows that as just he told the disciples how quickly money can steal our focus. Now, what I want to do this morning is just teach you a few things because Jesus would say things to them. He said this to his disciples. He said, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but lay up for your treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal. Because he says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. He, Jesus says, he tells his disciples, he said, look, guys, remember, you can't serve both God and money at the same time. It won't work. It just won't happen. You're going to love one and you're going to hate the other, whichever one that's going to be. And so this young man, after speaking to Jesus, he discovers something about himself. He discovers that money had a control over his life, and that was really what his desire was. In reality, can I just tell you, just to disarm all of you here this morning, I'm not taking an offering today, but I am going to give you some principles that is going to definitely alleviate a lot of the weight and trouble that you have and you carry on your life every day. God does not need your money. Look at your neighbor and say, God doesn't need your money, but He wants your heart. And He'll do whatever it takes to get it. That last part's really important. He doesn't want your money. What does he need from you? He doesn't need anything from you, but what he wants from you is he wants your heart. He wants it 100%. He wants it sold out to you. He wants your desires in your heart to be pursuing him and him alone. Now, I want you to think about it. Put yourself in the shoes of that young man. Put yourself in his shoes as Jesus says, go and give everything to the poor and then you can follow me. If God were to ask you to give up everything right now, how would you respond? And the room fell silent. What would your answer be if God says, I want you to not worry about your financial future. I want you to just let it go. That's not so easy, is it? Let me bring it close to home this morning because, see, in America, we really don't understand poverty. 
We don't understand lack of money. And he's saying, wait, pastor, (laughs) we need to have a conversation. No, no, no. I I want you to see some perspective today. I'm going to give you some perspective. Remember, I'm going to help you to deal with what you wrestle with on a daily basis. Half of the world lives on less than $3 a day. Half of the world. That's over 3 billion people every day live on less than 3 bucks. 1.3 billion people live on less than a dollar and a quarter a day. Now put that in perspective. 80% of the world, 80% of over how many, almost 7 billion people live on less than $10 a day. Now you think about that. $10 a day. That means only 20% of the world's population live on more than $10 a day. That's two cups of coffee at Starbucks. 800 million people today don't know where their next meal is going to come from. 750 million people today don't have clean water to drink. You see, it's hard for us to really comprehend poverty. It's hard for us to see it. Let me put it in even graver, greater perspective. We hear about the one percenters. Anybody ever heard that phrase, the one percenters? The one percenters are the people that have everything. They've got more money than they could ever spend. They're the wealthy people. In America, the one percenters, the, the, the wealthiest of the wealthiest in America, That means that you have a net worth of over $770,000 and that you make over $350,000 a year. Must be nice. Right? Come on, it's okay, wouldn't it? How many of you wouldn't mind that 1%? Thank you for being honest. I'm raising my hand. That'd be nice. But let's put it in perspective of all of God's creation. Not just America. Because my Bible says that for God so loved the world. That means the people in Africa and the people in South America and people in Asia that you don't never even know their tribe's name, that He loves them just as much as He loves you and I. The 1% category in the entire world perspective means that you have an annual income of around $32,000. Now pause. Those one percenters that we love to hate, guess what? That puts most, almost everybody in this room right smack dab in the middle of that one percent when it comes to the world. Put that in perspective. You see why it's so difficult for for us to understand poverty? It's because we only see it from an American perspective. And what Jesus does is Jesus tries to address this, particularly to those who want to be disciples, who want to follow him. He goes into into Matthew 19, verse 23. He says this. He skips down a few verses. And then Jesus says to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, just obviously, camels don't go through needle eyes. Camels don't do that unless there is a major transformation of the camel. Something's going to have to happen to that camel in order for that camel to get through the eye of that needle. Now, for Americans, it's hard for us to see that transformation. Jesus works on us always to try to see that transformation take place. Because remember, He wants us, He wants us to desire Him more than anything. Because what we have always done is we have taken our cues from the world around us. The reason why that you and I, we think about money and possessions and how much we make is because we have been taught by the world system about how to think about money. Jesus is working with his disciples 
And he's trying to teach them how to think about money or mammon because he wants them to recognize its place in their life. You see, we've been trained by the world system. I want you to consider this. When Jesus was tempted in Matthew chapter 4, the Scripture says that the devil took him up to a very high place. And this is what the devil told him. He said, he said Jesus, if you will just worship me, then all of the kingdoms and all of the splendor that you see in front of you, I will give it to you. Now, I want you to know what Jesus didn't do when he was tempted by the devil in the temptation in there in the desert. He didn't argue of whose those belong to. He didn't say, no, nope, that's my father's stuff and you don't have a right to give it away. He didn't say that. He said, no, worship the Lord your God and worship him only. But what Jesus understood is he, said, is he understood that the world's economic system was run by the spirit of the Antichrist, by Satan, that the control over the, the economic systems of the world, it is the system of the Antichrist, and it has one purpose. It's the same purpose as the devil has, and that is to steal, kill, and to destroy. Some are destroyed by poverty, and some are destroyed by prosperity. Did you catch that? Why? Because the system of the world is controlled by the evil one. Camels don't go through needles. The disciples couldn't figure it out. They were shocked. Why? Because they were trained the exact same way that you and I have been trained to think about the world system and how it functions. Look at verse 25. And when his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? Who can be transformed? How can, a tra how can a camel be transformed to go through that small of a hole? But Jesus looked at him and he said to them, With men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And then Peter answered him and said, See, we have left all and followed you. Lord, I've walked away from my livelihood. I've walked away from all of my home. I've walked away from everything that I had, all of my hobbies and all the things that I, I'm following. We've walked away from everything to follow you. Our focus, our desire is only on you. Therefore, what shall we have? So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in, this, in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of His glory... You who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses and brothers or sisters, or father or mother or wife or children or lands, for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. Many who were first will be last, and the last first. You see, what we need to consider is this morning and try to dis distinguish between a believer and a disciple, is that as Americans, most all of us will qualify as a rich young ruler. And at times, Jesus needs to remind us. He needs to remind us this morning that money can take over our lives and the devil can use it to destroy you. He can either limit your supply to the extent to where you have so little that it affects everything around you, your attitude, your marriage, your home, your future, your kids, or he can give you so much that you run wild and you lose concept of even reality of what's important and what's purposeful. And when we allow this to happen, we are operating as a believer and not as a disciple. If we want to follow Jesus as a disciple, we have to go through what I call a transformation of values. The transformation of your value system, of what you see in the system of money and, and finances and your own personal economy, you have to transform those in order to understand that you, God wants you to use you and become, to become a disciple and not a believer. And this morning, that's what I want you to do. I'm going to walk you through three things that will transform you today and show you how to think about money the way a disciple should. The first is this. 
We have to shift from wanting more to sharing more. That's the first transformative value that Jesus teaches his disciples. You have to move away from wanting, from just wanting more and more and more to wanting to share more. If you understand how a true disciple thinks about money, then you will see what their main pursuit has become. Rather than riches, what a disciple aims for is this word. It's a big one. Are you ready? It's the word contentment. A disciple learns to have contentment in their life. Flip over to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul tells us in 1 Timothy, in verse 6, he says, chapter 6, verse 6, he says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. Has anybody ever seen a funeral procession with a U-Haul truck following the coach or the hearse? I've never seen that. I've never seen it because no matter how much stuff you accumulate in this life, you're going to leave that stuff to somebody else. That car you love, that truck you're so proud of, one of these days it's going to get sold at an auction and some young kid's probably going to get it and trick it out and ruin your new truck. That house you love so much, you spent so much time pouring into that house and putting flowers all around it, one of these days that thing's going to get sold to somebody who could care less about even mowing the lawn or putting flowers up. They can't stand plants. It's going to be left to somebody else because you can't take anything with you. Solomon, the greatest man, who wisest who ever lived, he said this, I made it to the top of my game and I ended up having to leave everything else, everything behind for somebody else. He goes on, look at verse 8 there. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Now, Can we just stop and say that we all have a problem with that verse? Let's be honest. Are we saying, Lord, we're supposed to live in poverty, nothing but but a a roof over our heads and maybe a change of clothes and a box of ding-dongs or Twinkies, something, you know? And if we have that, we're just supposed to say, well, I'm on my way to heaven, broke as a dog. Here's what I want you to understand that contentment means. Contentment in our language means this. Contentment means that I'm dealing with it, but I'm not loving it. But I know God's got something better. Contentment means I'm dealing with it. Godliness with contentment is great gain. I'm dealing with it. I'm not loving it. But I do know God's got something better. Paul's not just talking a bunch of fluff there in Timothy. He's living it. He lives as a prisoner. In his other letters, he says, I know what it's like to be hungry. I know what it's like to be full. I know what it's like to have a, to have a, a place to stay. I know what it's like to be on the street. I know what it's like to, to have good times. I know what it's like to have bad times. Paul understood commitment or contentment, and that's why he did this. He wrote this scripture. He dealt with it, not to, not, he, he dealt with saying, Lord, I, I'm content, not that I can have more, but I want to be content because I can share more. And what does he do? In the midst of his contentment, he shares Philippians with us. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 says this, I'm not saying because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it's like to be in need. I know what it's like to have plenty. I have learned, look at this, the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Now, I want you to take note of a couple phrases there. He says these three words, I have learned. Everybody say that. I have learned. What did he learn? He learns... Verse 13, look at verse 13. Verse 13 says this, 
Because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That verse is so taken out of context so often. I mean, you see, what was it, Tim Tebow? He had that verse, you know, on his, on his eye things, you know. You know, I can do all things. I can score touchdowns. I can do all things. That's not what, what God is not trying to say, or what Paul is not, not saying here is, I can do all things. I can go climb the Mount Everest. I can go through the Himalayas. He's not saying, oh, I, I, my business that I start, I'm gonna, it's going to be a, a Forbes 500 company. I can do all things. My team is always going to win. That is not what he is saying. What he is saying is, is a, about contentment. Is He says, I know what it's like to have it when it's going my way, and I know what it's like to have it when it's not going my way. And the secret is, is that I can do all things, going my way or going against me. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can manage where I'm at. I can deal with it. I'm not loving it. I know God's got something better, but I can do this. Why? Because God is giving me strength. Some of you have, have felt that, that, that urge in your heart recently. You're just like, man, I don't like this. But you're making it. Why? Because God's giving you strength. You are understanding contentment in a great way. God is teaching you something. I have learned. And some of you would say, let's move it to the present tense, Pastor. I am learning. My hand goes up. I am learning to be content. Contentment. I am not loving it, but I can deal with it because God is giving me strength. That's not a natural tendency. That is not a natural, or that is... That is not something that is, that is, that is uh, natural for us. That is foreign to us. That's why we have to learn. We have to learn to be content. Now, let me just say before I cruise on, because here's the deal. My first point is longest. My last two are real quick. Contentment does not mean that you shouldn't want more. Biblical contentment, what Paul is saying is, is, I guess, you know, just going to be a poor person all my life. Yeah, Eeyore. Okay. I'm just going to be broke. That's not what the Scripture teaches. We're not to be content. Because while in prison, what was Paul saying? Pray that I be released. I don't like it here. I want away from this guy. He smells and I'm chained to him. Pray that I get released. Pray that I can get away from this place. And let me just tell you, every time you pray, what you are doing is you are arguing with God about your status quo. Saying, God, I don't like this. God, change it. Change the circumstance or change me. But somehow, get me out of this place. I am not happy here. I can deal with it because you're giving me strength. But Lord, I don't like it here. The idea of contentment is not that I love it and I hope it never changes. It's that I, 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 I can deal with it because my worth and my security is not determined by the ease of my life, but my worth and security is determined by the promises of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter, or 1 Corinthians, Chronicles chapter 4 in the Old Testament, there's a story about a man named Jabez. Some of you have read this passage. There's two verses in the entire Bible dedicated to this entire guy's life. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 4 verse 9, it says, Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. His mother had named him Jabez saying, I gave birth to him in pain. What a lucky guy. Walking around with that name. Everybody knew it. Hey, here comes old pain in the neck. Hey, guys, the pain has arrived. I'm bringing the pain. 
Can you imagine if we still named our kids like that? Think about that. This here's my daughter, C-section. Here's my son, stretch marks. And here's my youngest, never again. Jabez didn't start his life out very good. Uh, what are we going to name this kid? Pain. Okay, honey, great name. He wasn't happy with that. Because in verse 10, it tells us what he does in the midst of that. He wasn't, you know, the contentment was there. Okay, God, look at verse 10. Jabez cried out to God. Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And God ignored his ambitious plan to be a pain in the neck. No, no. What does the scripture say? And God granted his request. God, I'm not content to just be this guy filled with pain and sorrow. I want you to do something. Bless me, Lord God. Expand my territory, Lord. Help me, Lord. I don't want to just need things because I want it. I want to be able to share. I want to just, I don't want to just want more. I want to share more, God. Bless me so that I can be a blessing. That's what contentment is. Lord, I can deal, but let me tell you, Lord, I want you to bless me so that I can be a blessing. I want to be able to share. I want to share with others. When we review our thinking about money as a disciple, you move from wanting more for yourself to giving more to others. That's what it means. The second thing, and I told you these are going to be quick, is the way you transform your heart, you, you transform this camel into the size to go through the needle, is that you have to expose yourself to the needs of others. Jesus came and wrapped himself in flesh so that he could be just like us. So that we could say, have no excuse. Well, Jesus, you don't know what it's like to live in my house. We don't have much. The Son of Man does not even have a bed to lay his head upon, a pillow. He has no place. That's what Jesus said. Yeah, but Jesus, you don't know what it's like working, just beating my brains out, going to that job. There's nothing left. He understands. The real issue is that as an American, we don't like to suffer. We don't like that. We don't even like to be exposed to suffering. We run from it. Several years ago, when I was looking at our church and I was saying, God, we got to do something to make a difference around the world somewhere. I began to pray and I said, Lord, lead me to a place. I don't want to just go throw money at problems. We're, we're so, we, there's so much money in America. People just throw money at problems thinking that that's just going to solve it. Money does never, never solves a problem. I can just tell you this. This is a bit of wisdom. I teach my children this all the time. Never make a decision in your life based on money alone. It will always leave you with emptiness. Always. You'll find yourself three months down the road saying, man, this is a bad idea. Never make that decision on money alone. But as I said, God, I need you to show me where can we make a difference. And he pointed me into this. I was reading a book and he pointed me to the country of Liberia. At that time, Liberia was the poorest nation on the planet. Poorest country. I was like, hmm, this piqued my interest. I said, Lord, maybe we can do something here. I mean, like, we don't have a big church. We don't have lots of resources. We can just throw, you know, tens of thousands over here and tens of thousands over there. We've got to have, like, a rifle approach. We've got to shoot straight so that we can make a difference. And ended up, as we began to minister, uh, and I began to talk about that, that the Lord opened up an opportunity for me to go to Liberia. We went over there, and we took a team of a few guys, and we built a church. And I'll never forget that trip. It was transformative for me. Now, I've been all over the world. I've seen a lot of places, been in a lot of different countries, seen a lot of poor people. But I'd never been ex experienced Africa like I had experienced Africa at that moment. 
There was so much need. And I was overwhelmed. I said, God, how are we even going to make a difference in this place? It's so, it's so, it's so vast, God. How can we even make a difference? I mean, how, we can't change this country. And about that time, there's a man walking down the street right in front of our hotel. He said to me, he said, you may not can change the country, but you can change, help change him. Leave the country to me. It exposed me. It opened my eyes to such an incredible great need. And see, the challenge for, from, to move from a believer is to, to a disciple is you move from just being an observer of those things and you become involved in that. That's why we have missionaries in our church so often because I want us to be involved not just in our own little backyard. I want us to be involved around the world outside of ourselves, in a perspective that's much bigger than us, that brings the numbers down to where we were talking about those one percenters in the front, that, 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 that can change people. We have to be exposed to that. That's why we bring missionaries in. This is what the people that I serve look like. This is what they do. This is how much money they have. This is what they don't have. We expose ourselves. Our blessing comes so that we can be a blessing to others. That's what a disciple does. And then finally... We have to shift from giving out of abundance to giving out of sacrifice. I want you to do something with me today. I want you to, it's going to be homework or you can do it now. You can just flip over your note sheet. Here's what I want you to do. I was reading years ago about this subject and a man wrote about how to discover the circle of blessing. How many of you want to live inside the circle of God's blessing? Man, I do. If you don't raise your hand now, I don't know what's wrong with you. I want to be in God's blessing. And what he said is he said, you know what? He said, we have to understand God's circle of blessing. And in, in Psalm chapter 25, you can write these down. Psalm 25, verses 12 and 13 The Living Bible says this. It says, Where is the man who fears the Lord? God will teach him how to choose the best. He shall live within God's circle of blessing, and his children shall inherit the earth. For every follower of Christ, there is a circle of blessing that God puts around you. He puts it around you with an intent for you to live in it and to enjoy it. And so here's your, here's your, your uh, homework. I want you to go and I want you to have a little conversation with the Lord. I want you to pray. And then I want you to draw a circle on that, those, that note sheet. I want you to draw a circle. And inside that circle, I want you to put your family in there. I want you to put your dreams in there. I want you to put your goals in there. I want you to put in there how much you want to make every year. I want you to put in there what kind of car you want to drive. I want you to put in there what house you want to put the address. If I have, if it's not, if it's not, you know, don't covet your neighbor's house, but if it's unsold, go write that address, write that address down, put it in there, put what kind of vacations you want to take and where you want to go. Put down what age you want to retire. <laughs> and I want you to ask yourself, Lord, You see inside my circle of blessings. This is the blessing that I want you to do in my life. All of these things, Lord. Bless me with all of that stuff. Bless me, Lord. And here's what I want you to ask yourself. If I'm looking at that circle, and if everything that I've put in that circle comes into my life, and after you're shouting hallelujah, ask this. How is it going to affect me as a follower of Jesus? How is it going to affect my generosity and giving to others? Ask this important question. Will I be able to give in proportion to the way I would live? Isn't that the question the rich young ruler had to deal with? 
He lived in that circle of, he had all of these things in the circle, but what was not proportionate and Jesus recognized it is that what was coming outside into the outside of the circle was not proportionate to what God had put inside the circle. And that's the problem. The problem is that the things in the circle are big and everything outside the circle becomes very small and unimportant. The real key is this, is once you pray over that circle, you have to live within that circle. You live within it. And once you have that and God gives that to you, don't say, Lord, we need to expand the circle. No, what you need to do is you need to begin to bless the outside of that circle. Because what we do is we want to say, Lord, I'm just going to keep expanding the circle and it's all going to get closer and closer to me and I'm just going to get more and more and more and more. And the proportion of what's going outside the circle is not proportionate to what is inside the circle. It's the circle of blessing that God wants us to have. My prayer for you is this, is that everything you put in that circle that God blesses you with. That's my prayer for you. Everybody in this church, I want you to know that I pray that God puts a million-dollar house inside that circle because I believe that that will make you a million-dollar giver. God doesn't care if you drive a Rolls-Royce as long as you're a Rolls-Royce giver. Come on. You see, that's the whole point is we have to move from, from giving out of abundance to giving out of sacrifice. God talked about the tithe. I haven't preached on giving or tithing in a long time. You say, well, yeah, but the New Testament doesn't talk about tithing. Why? Why does it need to? The Old Testament already covered it all. What the New Testament does is the New Testament ratches it up. It says, you know what, you've got the tithe. You all know about this. But what we're going to do is we're going to give out of extravagance. We're going to give out of sacrifice. People are like selling stuff to, to meet the needs of the people around them. Let me just close with this. Regina, would you come? There's a man that was in the church some time ago. He was wealthy. He was independent. This was years ago. Most of you probably wouldn't even know who I'm talking about. He came up to me and he said, Pastor, he said, uh, I just preached on giving. And he said, I don't think I can give the way that you're talking about. He said, I'm, I'm a very wealthy person. He said, I know I don't look like it, but he said, I've got a lot. He said, I make a lot from things that I've did, royalty deals and deals that I've done years and years ago. He said, I make a lot of money, and I don't think that I can give the way that you taught it today. And here was my response. <laughs> I'll never forget it. It's at the end of service. I said, man, I said, that troubles my spirit. I said, so here's what I'm going to do. And if you'll agree with me in prayer, I'm going to pray that God would make you poor again so that you could give according to whatever you have at that moment. And he's like, what? I said, yeah. I said, why not? Well, I, I, I don't want you praying that. Well, I was like, but God wants you to give. And it sounds like to me that that's got you. The only way that we can break that free is you need to be poor. He looked at me with a big smile, and it was just like what this story right here we read in the beginning. He looked at me with a big smile, and he just walked off. Wasn't too long, he was gone. Believers, they don't tithe, they don't give, they don't care. But a disciple says, how can I be a blessing outside of myself? You want to be a disciple? It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. 
say, man, you sound like a televangelist. No, 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 no. I'm just telling you the truth. If you want to follow Jesus, you got to put your money where your mouth is. And when you say it like Peter, Lord, we have given up everything to follow you. That's when Jesus says, you got it. You can, if you can give it all up for me, you've got me. And I've got you. I want to just say this. Stop worrying about money. Oh, Pastor, you don't understand. No, no, no. Stop worrying about money. Because the Father that I know, He owns everything. He had to tell David, look, you see all those cattle on thousands of hills out there? I own them. And if I want to give you as many, I'll give them to you. We live in a day when this pressure, the financial situation will affect everybody. It eats on you like every day. Don't let it eat you away. Learn to be content. Learn to deal. You don't have to love it, but you can deal with it because the Lord will give you strength. And say, Lord, I want to be the blessing. I want to fill my circle so that I can fill the circles of others. (laughs) That's what it means to be a disciple. Let's pray. The Lord specifically spoke to me to do this today. I'm not going to call anybody to the front today, but here's what I am going to do. I am going to pray over the financial situation of everybody here. I want you to take your wallet or your purse or whatever you have, your phone that's got your check card or your credit card. I want you to get it out and I want you to hold it in your lap right now. Take your wallet, whatever. (laughs) If you brought your bills to church, you can put them in your lap too. (laughs) I want you to take it out. Take your wallet out, your purse, whatever, your phone. You got your bank app. I want you to to click on your bank app. Just don't open it. Okay, I want you to to focus on that. Here's what we're going to do. I want you to pray this prayer. And I want you to pray this prayer with all of your heart. Because the Lord's got this. He's going to take care of you. Some of you. You look at that bank account, you look at that check card, you know it's red, and it ain't because Wells Fargo sent you a red card. It's red. Matthew 6.33, Seek Him first and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Put Him first, and He will give you the desires of your heart holding your wallet and your purse, I want to pray over you and I want you to say, Lord, I serve you. I don't serve this bank. I don't serve this the bills. I don't serve my mortgage lender. I don't serve... I, I'm, I want to do this right. Lord, help me to put you first in my finances. Help me to put you first so that you might provide all of my needs. Lord, help my circle, Lord, to be filled, Lord, with your blessings so that on the outside, Lord, I can fill others. I can, I can be generous. Let me pray over you. Father, I pray that today, Lord God, and every person, Lord God, who who is, Lord, right now, that, Lord, they know, Lord God, what they have, Lord, in this world. But, Lord Jesus, help them to see what they have in the next, Lord. That's the goal. Lord, help them to begin to lay up treasures in heaven. Lord, where, where Brother Wayne and Brother C.A. are enjoying those treasures already today, Lord, help us to see that, Lord, this is just the short brief time. Oh, God, help us to lay those things over on the other side where it really matters. Oh, Lord, give us contentment. I pray for those, Lord, right now, Lord, who are constantly, Lord, upset and unnerved by their financial situation. God, give them supernatural strength in the name of Jesus that they would weather this season that they're going through. Let them know that, Lord, that they don't have to love it, but, Lord, you're going to give, you're making preparations right now, Lord, to change, Lord God, their situation situation, if they'll just stay the course, if they'll just, Lord God, continue, Lord, to be faithful, Lord, you are going to make some changes, and Lord, you're going to bless them if they put you first. Lord, fill their circle, Lord God. Bless them abundantly, Lord, above all that they can ask or imagine, God. Do what you can only do. 
pray, God, for those, Lord, who have means that, Lord God, they've just, Lord, they've been so, Lord God, they've been so, Lord, reliant upon those, Lord, that they think that that's their life. Father, I pray that you give them, Lord, a generous heart. Lord, give them a generous, let them see, Lord God, the joy there is in giving and serving and blessing and being generous to others. Father, I praise you. Lord, for your blessings to us. But Lord God, don't let our blessings hold us. I thank you, Lord, for the for money that we have. But Lord, don't ever let money have us. Protect us. Protect our minds. Protect our hearts. For it is the wellspring of life. Thanks for listening to this message. If you were blessed by this ministry, we want to encourage you to share it. And if you don't have a church home, come join us any Sunday at 1030.